Good morning, everybody. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. Welcome to the ride that we call the book of Genesis. Some of you are already having angst because you're looking at your calendar going, we still have a lot of territory to cover and I'm going to let myself off the hook and I'm going to let you off the hook. We're not going to get through the entire book of Genesis before the end of the summer. Now, the cool thing about being a dinosaur in ministry, it means next summer we'll probably come around, pick up exactly where we left off and keep right on going because in a couple of weeks, we're going to start a brand new series called Taboo 2. You'll remember Taboo one, you asked me to tackle some of the most difficult conversations you were having. We're going to do exactly the same thing based on all the feedback that we got from you. But let's get back to Genesis. If you haven't been with us or have missed any of the weeks, I'm going to catch you up in about 87 seconds. Ready, set, go. Genesis chapter 1, God creates and it's all good. Genesis chapter 2, God creates a man and a woman. He hosts a naked wedding. At the naked wedding, God strikes a template for godly marriage. The template hasn't changed. Genesis chapter 3, God opens a door to man's free will and things like choice and decision and consequences and boundaries come in when Eve has a conversation with the snake and we learned about the dangers of having conversations with the snake and God institutes something called free will and you use the same free will that Adam and Eve used to walk away from God as an opportunity to walk towards God today. Congratulations. I'm glad you're here. Did anybody notice the rain last night? That was really cool, right? Genesis chapter 4, we find sibling rivalry, hotly debated sacrifices, murder, and once more God's grace can cover even a guy named Cain and we begin to see God's relentless plan of love that's always covering and always reaching and always pursuing and always always chasing us. Genesis chapter 5, there's a genealogy that covers Adam and Eve's kids, Kenan, Enosh, Methuselah, Enoch, and the list goes on and on, all the way up to a guy named Noah. Genesis chapter 6, we have angel sex, giant offspring, a new definition of a hero, and instructions from God to build an ark. In Genesis chapter 7, God hits a reset button because mankind was evil all the time, perpetually, and God said, enough justice and mercy hand in hand, because he saves Eight, Genesis chapter eight, the water goes down after a global flood. Noah and his family emerges. God begins to create again. Genesis chapter nine, Noah ends up drunk and naked. And we see the pain of choices. We learn the deep theological meaning wrapped around the sentence. Bad things happen when you're wasted. You should go back and listen to that one. Genesis chapter 10, a lot of names and places. Genesis 11, people begin to build a monument to themselves. God says, not so fast. He puts a glitch in their Google translator and the rest is history. Genesis chapter 12, we're introduced to a guy named Abram, who we all know as Abraham. And his story starts off so good. And Pastor Brian Steele started it off so good because Abram is called out and he goes. The Bible says, Genesis 12, 1, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household, go to the land that I will show you. And if you are paying attention in the first 12 chapters of Genesis, you begin to notice this incredible theme. Adam, no clothes. Noah, no rudder. Abram, no map. Apparently, God wants his people to trust him. So that's my question, church. You trust him? I mean, do you really trust him in the exposure of life? Do you expose him, or trust him in the flood of life? Do you trust him in the direction of life that he gives you even when he doesn't hand you directions as to how you're going to get there? Hold that thought. Abraham gets a call. Abram's promised a great nation, and that's a great moment. You know, I think back over the great moments of my life. Marrying Laurel, great moment. The birth of both of my kids, great moment. 
Braden's wedding, great moment. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just get stuck on the great moments? I even look back now and I realize some of the moments that I thought were bad were actually really, really good moments because God was just in a process. I just couldn't see him at that time. But every time I think about the great moments, I also have to think about the worst moments. Moments when I made a decision to break God's heart and sin willfully and I paid a price. I mean, wouldn't you love to just be able to, to, to set up camp in the great moments of your life. Wouldn't it be nice if we learned to choose Jesus in every single moment so that we didn't have to pay any prices in our worst moments? I mean, I love Abraham. He just had a, a great moment. But remember, we've been talking about this cycle that we go around. And guess what? Abraham's going to go around the cycle for us. Because he has this beautiful promise from God. And then Abraham's response is he builds a lie. Famine kicks in. It's no food. Abraham heads towards Egypt with his wife and his family, and Abram's a little freaked out because he knows his wife is beautiful, and he knows that if the Egyptian leadership sees his wife because she's so beautiful, he thinks the reason, the, the, I mean, they're going to try and get to her by going through him, unless they think he's her brother, because culturally, you wouldn't mess with a sister. It's a cultural thing. You can study it on your own. So here's Abram with a choice. Ask my wife to lie or not. Godly versus ungodly. Truth versus lying. And this great man of faith who has this beautiful promise of God chooses the wrong one. The Bible says Abram said to his, sister, or to his wife, Say you are my sister so I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Does anybody else notice the number of personal pronouns that are in that particular verse? I. Do this so I can be safe, so that I will be treated well because of you. To the married folks in the room, this is free. When you get married, there's no more me, there's only we. And anytime your me shows up in the middle of we, it will not go well for either one of you. And all God's people said, you've lived it, right? You've experienced it. Now, this is where it gets weird. Abram lies, but he comes out ahead. Kind of weird. Genesis 12, 16. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maid servants, and camels. Now, some of you go, that's not the kind of ahead I want, but in this culture, that was huge. Now, be careful because some of you are thinking, oh, I get it. Tell a lie, get a check. Live a life of deceit, and you come out ahead. And the world will tell you, you got it, that's it. That's your takeaway from church today. Go out and do that. And there's no denying it. If you read the story, it's kind of crazy. He actually gets away with it. Because God decides, yeah, I don't think so. This is not cool. And at the end of the story, the Bible says this, but the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Okay, stop, 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 stop. stop. Don't do the wrong biblical math, please, please. Don't do the wrong biblical math. 
It's amazing. When I study this stuff, I look at commentators across the board. I mean, from the most conservative all the way over here to the most liberal, because I want to see what everybody in every camp says about this particular story. There are commentators that actually say Abram was honorable and lying because he was trying to protect his wife. I don't think so. There's commentators who say, well, actually, this was a gray area because the Ten Commandments weren't written yet. I'm like, really? (laughs) Really? You're writing books? Abram lied. He had an opportunity to trust God, and even though he came out ahead, make sure you take this with you. He was wrong. He was wrong. Never forget a meeting I had with a business guy from our very first church. He asked me one day, he said, Grant, could you meet me in front of my office building in my parking lot? I said, sure. So I drove over. He was sitting uh, up on the hood of his car, just staring at the building. And I went and sat with him on the hood of the car. And I didn't say anything. But I'll never forget what he said. He said, I hate this office building. I lied to my business partner to get it for myself. And three days later, he died. And every day I come to this building, I'm reminded that I lied to get it. My friends, here's the problem with lying and coming out ahead. Everything you got from the lie for the rest of your life will remind you of that sin every single day. And it won't go away. What's the lesson? It's a countercultural lesson. The end does not justify the means. Now, you've heard that before, right? The end justifies the means. It doesn't matter what you do as long as you come out ahead. And God says, no, 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 no. The means actually has to be godly if you want a godly outcome. That's the decision you've got to make between the godly and the ungodly. The end never justifies the means. Why? You know why? Because the story isn't over here. Because this is what happens in Genesis 13. Nobody can deny he has stuff. He's got stuff. Genesis 13 too. Abram became very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. Some of you are still stuck. Because as soon as I start talking about stuff, you equate that with another word, success. And you start thinking, but I, Grant, I, I like stuff. I need stuff because it's my precious, me needs it. <laughs> you didn't understand that? Ask an eight-year-old. They'll fill you in on the whole trilogy, okay? And while Gollum is whispering in your ear, me needs it, you need it too. Jesus is preaching a different perspective all through the New Testament. Genesis 12, 15. The world according to Jesus. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It's not about the size of the pile of stuff you leave behind. In fact, can I tell you something about the pile of stuff you leave behind? The bigger it is, the more relatives will be declaring war over it in order to get their cut. The world according to Jesus, Mark 8, 36. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Abram's loaded. He leaves Egypt with a nephew by the name of Lot. And Abram's going to find out that there are problems associated with having a lot and a lot. Okay? Stuff and a nephew. All right? The Bible says conflict breaks out in their corporation. There's infighting between the shepherds of Abram and the shepherds of Lot. So it's decision time. Abram, the the CEO, steps up and says, hey, let's not fight. Let's not fight. The whole land is before you, speaking to his nephew Lot. Let's just divide up the assets. So you pick. You go one way. I'll go the other. We don't need any more fighting. And here it comes. You've ever ever heard the phrase, what goes around comes around? 
Well, here it comes. Because in that moment, he reaps what he sowed. According to the culture, Lot should have deferred to his uncle. No, uncle, you get to pick first. You're the patriarch of the family. That's the way this is supposed to go. But that's not what Lot was taught. Lot was taught, you take your shot when you got it. You take advantage of what you need to. It doesn't matter who gets hurt in the process. The end justifies the means. The Bible says in chapter 13, verse 10, Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the He slots on opportunity and he grabbed it because the end justified the means. He took his shot. Thousands of years later in a New Testament verse, the Bible says this, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. What's the important part here? Lot learned self-serving selfishness from somebody. I believe he learned it from Uncle Abraham. Because don't forget, Abram had eye disease. You remember those words? Say you're my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. I, 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 my, my, my. Parents, I know it's summertime and we're just supposed to preach happy, clappy, everything, life is good, going back to school, God bless your hearts and all the rest of that kind of stuff. Question, what are you modeling and teaching your children? You have to get ahead. You've got to get your slice of the pie. The world is competitive. You need to get out there, kid. Come on, get your shot. Take your shot at the end. Justifies the means. Whatever you need to do, as long as you end up with a big pile of stuff, that's the most important thing. What are you teaching your employees, bosses? Is your bottom line more important than your employee's heart, soul, and family? What are you modeling for your friends who don't know Jesus? Everybody. (laughs) Am I showing my friends that there's a different way? Or do I show them I'm just on the same hamster wheel that you are? I'm in the same rat race that you are. It's just a great big competition, competition to try and accumulate more and more stuff. Look what happens. He loses. He loses. Genesis 13, 11. The two men parted company. Now, some people are like, no, Grant, they parted ways amicably. It's, it's all good, but you and I both know different, don't we? When someone in a relationship chooses money over relationship, it never goes well, ever, ever. Some of you are living in the pain of that right now, and it's hard. And up to this point, you're thinking, Grant, this is not very encouraging today. Can we turn a corner? Well, yeah, we can. Because I want you to know something. As, this, as in this story, in with all stories, when God's involved, incredible things are right around the corner because I need you to know this. If you're not dead, God's not done. Story isn't over because God's always moving. The story isn't over because your worst moment is neither fatal nor final and it wasn't for Abram either. So Genesis is going to start taking us in a different corner. We're going to turn a corner here, and Abram's going to learn a valuable lesson. And this is one we all need to learn, especially in our culture, that real blessing comes from God and God alone. And when you think blessing, be careful what you attach to that word. Because we have a very limited scope. Let me get there in just a second. The Bible says Genesis 14. Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out, brought out bread and wine. 
And he was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hands. Let me give you the background. Lot chooses the the really, really good land. The problem is this war breaks out and there's all kinds of tension and he ends up being taken captive. And Abram has to go in and rescue his relative and in rescuing his relative, he ends up with a whole bunch of stuff that belongs to a bunch of different people and he enters into this economic negotiation about who gets to keep what. And in the middle of that is this Old Testament priest by the name of Melchizedek. Some people say Melchizedek was an Old Testament manifestation of Jesus because the only things we ever read about him is perfection. Some people say he was just a historical figure who was pure and righteous. Nobody knows for sure, but what we do know is this. In the middle of Abraham's worst moments, God's always trying to reclaim his heart. And he's doing exactly the same thing with me and you today. Abraham begins to learn that all of, watch this, watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it, that all of his blessing was actually his blessing. And it took a while for the lights to come on, but he finally got there. And I want you to notice this. The blessing wasn't in the stuff. It never is. Don't ever confuse God's blessing for stuff. Whenever I go to a hospital room, The people that have the most blessed experience are not surrounded by a bunch of stuff. They're surrounded by people. And they're surrounded by God's presence. So let's redefine blessing. God's blessing is hope in the middle of tragedy. It's joy in the middle of sorrow. It's peace in the middle of chaos. That stuff's priceless. I was in the hospital last Saturday night with the Hanson clan. Billy and, and Jan, and I mean, and, and the, there's like three generations of Hansons that come here to Christ the King. I love that family so much. And, and Teresa was in the middle of, 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 actually her mom was going home to be with Jesus. And she was on hospice care. And then I get this, I get this call, William Sr. and the boys had gone out on ATVs to kind of get some, to, you know, blow off a little bit of steam. And, and one of the ATVs flipped and Bill Sr. ended up shattering his arm. He's going to be Okay. And I show up in the room, and what I'm expecting is a lot of pain, because there was a lot of pain inside of the family, emotionally and spiritually and actually physically. And yet, when I walk in the door in typical Hanson style, everybody's just good. You know what the Hanson family figured out? They figured out that if you invite the Prince of Peace to show up, he'll actually show up. And he showed up in the middle of that hospital room. The Bible says where your heart is, there your treasure will be. So Christ the King, treasure godly friendship. Treasure God's word. Treasure God's promises. Treasure Jesus. Treasure God's God's faithful track record in your life. Treasure God's covenants. Treasure God's generosity when he poured out every spiritual blessing in Jesus. Treasure God's seeking heart that's going to pursue you even in your worst moments. Treasure life and breath as a gift, not a right. Treasure grace that covers your worst moments and gives you so much more than you deserve. Treasure that. You're rich. You're rich. You know how I know that Abram learned a lesson? Because he actually gives with the right heart. Genesis 14, verse 20. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. It's the very first time that a tithe shows up in all of Scripture. You don't know what a tithe is? It, it, it's Christian craziness is what it is. So I've got a buddy who's an agnostic. And every time I preach on stewardship, he's like, tell me when you're going to do that tithing talk again. 
I love it when you do that. Because he goes, that's just crazy. Because he can't figure out why. He goes, so the church pays you a salary. You take 10% off the top and give it back to your employer. He goes, that's nuts. I'm like, no. That's obedience. That's obedience. Because I learned something a long, long time ago. God's 10 is still bigger than my 90. Do you do the, can you do that math with me? And God calls me to trust him. To operate without a cover, to operate without a rudder, to operate without a map. It reminds me of the words in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20, verse 35. The apostle Paul saying, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Abram learns. Abram gives. And then I know for a fact he got it because he acts wisely. So Melchizedek and Abram are having a conversation. King of Sodom shows up. Sodom and Gomorrah are going to show up eventually in this particular story. He shows up and he makes a plea to try and get some of the pieces back because Abram, I mean, you should read the story of the, the, the rescue of Lot and Abraham. Uncle shows up and takes care of a lot and a lot. And, and, and it's, it's a beautiful piece of human drama. But in the end, the king of Sodom says, so here's what I want to do. I'm kind of going to like split up the spoils and I'll take the people, you take the stuff, blah, 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 blah. And Abram responds with the most incredible, he has this amazing economic opportunity and here's how he responds. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand, I've sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. Because Abram finally got it. His blessing was his blessing. Now, some of you are taking a pass on this one already because you're just like, Grant, you're talking to rich people. I'm out. I'm out. That's very, very difficult to do when every single person in this room that I'm making eye contact with right now is in the top 4% of the richest people on the face of the planet. Whether you believe you are or not doesn't matter. Statistics tell me different. If you slept under a roof last night, you're rich. If you eat one meal today, you're rich. If you've consumed clean drinking water today, you're rich. And if you know that Jesus, the king of the universe, loves you, you're so wealthy, no one can touch you. But we forget. You know what I up thinking about this morning? We have 600 children in two different schools in the Cabrera slum. Thomas emailed me last night. You've met Thomas and Beatrice. They've stood on this stage and prayed over us as a church. Cabrera, where those schools are, Cabrera's burning. There's riots and chaos, all kinds of stuff going on. And my prayer was that the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills would cover those kids because those kids are the hope of the world in that slum. And if you met every single one of them, they would say, because they know Jesus, they're rich too. I better wrap this up. Genesis chapter 15. 
Abram gets it wrong, and he gets it right. Next week, guess what? You're going to get it wrong again. <laughs> Gives me hope for me. But once again, God comes to Abram. The Bible says this, Genesis 15, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. Your what? Your very great reward. It's God reminding him again. It's not your blessing. It's mine. Look up at the sky. Count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. And God begins to create again. A new identity for a broken man who got it wrong and then got it right. Begins to rebuild this idea in Abram's head. I'm actually going to use you to create the faith of the world, essentially. We've been going around this chart over and over and over again. So far, 12 chapters, we've been around this horn five different times. God creates, then God connects to his creation, and then we make a decision to sin. We purposefully do that, and because of that, relationship breaks. But instead of just breaking the relationship and, and walking away, God moves in, in the direction of restoration, and then he redeems it, and he puts the pieces back together again, and he takes our worst moments and actually allows them to become a platform of unbelievable power and grace when we share what we learned while we were in the bottom of that particular cycle, and then God does the unthinkable every time he starts creating again. New hearts, new minds, new perspectives. He's doing it right now. So let me just recap a couple of chapters of Genesis. God creates a man named Abram. He says, you're going to be the father of all faith. God connects to him with a covenant. Abram, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. I'm going to bless you and multiply you in spite of your humanity. Abram sins. He lies. And he teaches his family about selfishness and self-centeredness. And because of that, relationship breaks not only with God, but with the people that Abram loves. And, and just when we're ready to give up hope at the bottom of the cycle, God restores. God begins to put some pieces back together again. And he opens the door in spite of sin to relationship. And God pursues and God calls and God follows. And then God redeems. And the reason I know that happens is because Abram comes back. Comes back learning some hard lessons. He comes back covered in God's grace. He covers his pain and our pain and allows us to learn from our consequences. And, and when we think we deserve it the least, God creates again a renewed covenant, a new future, and a new hope. I love preaching to you. I just don't like it when Jesus preaches to me first. <laughs> I do most of my prep on Tuesdays. And then I kind of let it marinate for a couple of days. And then I pray like crazy, God, please don't let any of this be heretical. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I finished preparing this week. And when I was done, I think I probably freaked out some of our staff members. Because if they walked past my office Tuesday around 4 o'clock, they saw... Uh, a mess. I've been pretty honest and transparent with this group that, that 
Uh, if I have a sin of choice, it's lying and deception. That's how I grew up because I'm always threatened by the fact that people might not like me. And if you don't like me, that's okay. You give me four or five sentences and I'll, I'll figure out a story that'll make you like me. And I've caused immense, immeasurable pain in my own family because I, I, I got a weak spot just like Abram had a weak spot. And I've talked to you guys about that. That's no thing. And if you've got a problem with a pastor that sins, you probably should find another church. Because I'm as human as anybody else. I just got a microphone to talk about it. I'll add another piece. I've struggled with generosity at times. I, I get stuck with eye disease a lot. My wife is the cheerful giver in our family. I'm like, I'll give it to you, but... <clears throat> right? <laughs> Discipline. To... There you go. Ugh, right? Even though... All these years of God's track record of faithfulness, and I just forget. So I'm sitting in my office Tuesday afternoon, and I went old school. Because I found myself singing old song from when I was a little kid. At 9.30, I know most of you know this. So you're going to sing it with me this morning. I'm going to ask Andy and Carlotta if they'll come back and join me. Instead of me praying today, I'm going to ask you to just sit where you are and take a deep breath. In whatever areas that you may need to deal with God in, I'm going to ask you a question. Are you willing to live life completely exposed with God as your only covering? You willing to operate without a rudder? Do you trust God enough to lead you without a map? Can you lay down whatever idol you may have in your life today and, and confess to God that sometimes you just get stuck in the stuff like everybody else? Because I found myself on Tuesday afternoon having to have another moment when I said, All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. So you're going to sing the closing prayer today. Simple, old school, heartfelt. Andy, would you lead us?
Don't pick it back up. When you lay it down, leave it down. Would you stand with me this morning? May the God of all peace and the God of all comfort walk alongside of each one of you this week as you choose to see his blessing as his blessing.